I remember the first time I moved from PC to Mac and it was like, Mac sucks. Everything's in a weird place and it's all like prescribed and I can't get to the control panel and you know, all these things. But two weeks in, it's like, oh, it just does everything better. <laughs> you know, like I couldn't see it. You know what I mean? Dan, how's it going? Good, George. What do you have for us today? Well, I want to talk a little bit about how how does something get adopted, technology? How does technology get adopted inside of an organization? Mm. You know, we've been... Okay, I got you. Okay, yeah, yeah. We've been, we've had, I mean, we're a smaller organization, you know, getting close to 50. And Mm -hmm. there are definitely ways that new tools get adopted here. Mm-hmm. But our clients are global enterprises. Right. And a lot of times they're trying to either get the adoption of custom software they've built right. or licensed software that they've purchased getting adopted by their people, by their staff, and getting actually used. Because, mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they're not spending an insignificant amount of money. Oh, yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So I want to talk through that today. But I, I got to be honest, I think you're, you're and I your nice brains aren't enough. We're limited. Mm, I think that's true most of the time. So I want to welcome our guests today. We have Justin and Tyler with us, part of the Crema crew, part of the coaches team, the strategy team. And um, they're on the show with us today. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? Well, hello. Doing fine. Hello. Doing well myself. Awesome. You guys have been a part of a a few different sides of this conversation, both from helping Crema adopt new tools and also helping our clients adopt new tools. Um, Let's let's start off with just a simple first question. Where does it start? When somebody starts thinking about, I need a tool, how do companies go about choosing software? I'm gonna throw that to you guys. where, where, where do you think that people start when they we go down that path of choosing technology to use? I think it starts in one of two places. Uh, a, a common one in large companies is from the top down, uh, where somebody in IT or somebody leading a particular initiative says, we need to use a certain kind of software, or we need to use this product suite or something like, like uh, Adobe is mm-hmm. a massive suite, Microsoft, Atlassian, those are built for enterprise organizations and they do great things for those companies. The other place that it often starts is from the ground up where somebody in an organization of any size says, I have this thing I wanna do, the tools I have right now don't do it as these other tools that are, that are on the market. And so I'm gonna explore and play around with those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, they might share those inside the company. Um, and they can find those tools, either one of these from, sales folks, from advertisements, from recommendations from friends, how, how the tools get to them is pretty varied. Mm-hmm. But I think that's how they get into organization. And we've probably seen that from all of those sides from our clients at, at one point or another to where right. it starts at the top down or our direct contact with the client may be the one that's making the request to yeah. upper leadership and management because they need a tool like this. And yeah. they're trying to justify it in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's always an unmet need. 
somebody recognizes an unmet need and they ask, what do I do with this? Is there something out there? Can I make it myself? Do we just need to change our process? Because it's not always software that's the problem, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. change the way you work. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it is the case, like mostly trying to use tools to fix something that may be a cultural issue or, or a, a way of working issue. Uh, how, I mean, I'm trying to think through both for ourselves and for our clients, how often we replace Microsoft Excel, right? Um, you know, it's an enterprise tool. Dan, Dan's face is like, but why? It's the perfect <laughs> tool. It's the tool that everyone needs and loves. It's, it is the pinnacle to where all other software points. <laughs> We're going to move past that real fast. I've, I was I've saying API calls with Excel. I've made websites with Excel. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done quite a bit with it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Some, all other tools is less than Excel as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well done. I just took it to a whole other level. I love it. Um, well, who, who tends to be the, you kind of mentioned it, Tyler, a little bit that there might be someone who's is a bit of a champion. But when we when we look at different company sizes, who tends to be the person that's responsible for choosing the software? Uh, maybe maybe Justin, can you jump in on that a little bit? Who have you seen either inside of Crema or inside of some of the larger organizations that we've collaborated with um, that you've seen um, is responsible for maybe bringing new software to the organization? Yeah, I think. I think that regardless of how it comes about, there's a change agent that has explored themselves. Mm. Um, even, even if that is, there's a top-down initiative, hey, we need to find this thing, there still is, who are the change agents? Who are the people that are boots on the ground that are experiencing these problems most poignantly? And we want you to find those solutions. Or if it's bottom up, it's those people that they're in the trenches and they together are in their meeting saying, hey, we need to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really it's, it's a lot of, early adopters, um, not necessarily market early adopters, or they're the ones trying out the, the beta of a new platform, mm-hmm. but at least internal early adopters. And so that's when I say change agents, that's who I'm referring to. It's mm-hmm. that person that has the initiative that's, that is never really settled with the status quo of how the organization is running. They're always thinking a step ahead. They're noticing inefficiencies. They're seeing new opportunities. Those are the people who uh, usually end up one way or another really informing this process and, and what tools do or don't work. You've been in that seat a couple of times, either adopting new tools for Crema or actually helping our clients adopt similar tools to what Crema uses. Um, what, maybe what is the kind of posture or the, the attitude of the person that t- tends to be that, that change agent? Um, how do, what do you see inside yourself as kind of that, you know, that willingness to try something new when, when the existing way may have been okay, but not great. Um, I think of Miro is a perfect example. I know you've, you've really helped be a, a pretty big change champion, both for Crema with Miro and working with a lot of clients as they introduce a tool like Miro in the age of remote work. Um, what does that look like to hear that, that first conversation of someone saying, I know this tool could be helpful, uh, I'm not sure where to start. And I know that, it, you know, how do I get, how do I get the rest of the rest of the team bought in, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think one thing that I've been learning myself in any type of change is that there has to be small manageable wins that have mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm. Um, that if it's top down 
and the full leadership team is on board. We just had an all company lunch and learn where there is a mandate from leadership. We are moving from this tool to another. And so yeah. we are adopting it. And so in that meeting, we were present like literally 30 minutes ago, we were just presented with here are the five main features here, are the five that we're going to be using. And it's like, get on board and uh, it's going to be great to which we said, this is great. But if I was the internal change agent, I probably would not show that much because other people don't have the time or interest that I've put into it at that point. Mm. And so I think it's finding those, it's quick wins. Um, I don't want to know a full feature. I don't need to know the full suite of tools that are possible. In fact, that may be overwhelming and do the opposite of what we'd like. And so I think, um, when, when being that internal change agent, let's find those small wins. Let's find small projects where we can solve one use case with this and hmm. focus on the deliverable. Don't focus on the tool itself because then there's this, well, that was really cool. How did you accomplish this? Let me show you what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are, some, those are some things that I see in those leaders, internal change agents, is they're playing the long game, not the short, uh, the yeah. short term. I need everybody to be using this all the time in every way. You got to be more patient than that. So Justin or Tyler, can you think of a real use case of something we're using right now to where it started more as an internal, uh, a change agent um, versus top down and give us some examples of those small wins. So I'm going to take this one because I'm, I'm on the receiving end of this one and it's the tool Loom. Loom was a tool that we used to asynchronously communicate as a team. Before COVID, Crimo was a remote first culture, but a lot of us, probably 75% of us were in the office together. Right. One of the coaches at Crimo, Michael, had moved to DC about two years ago, Washington, DC. And I don't know what other DCs there are. I don't know why I needed to clarify. <laughs> District. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. Um, but Michael was really excited about Loom and he was sharing links and he was saying, Hey, I think this is, this is worth it. You should try this. And honestly, I didn't care. Um, (laughs) he, he was going for the small win and I didn't really even throw him a bone because I didn't see a need for it at the time. And then COVID happened and I thought, okay, now we've got this moment of change. I sure am glad that Michael has done some of this work before us. And so Michael said, Hey, I really think that we should try this Loom thing. Our team took it on, other product teams take it on. It's now integral to how we interact with our clients. And I think in a hypothetical future world where we're all in office or 75, 50% of us are in the office together, I still think Loom is going to be the primary way Mm -hmm. that we avoid having meetings and we asynchronously communicate to the team. And so that's an example of a time that I was hesitant. There was an internal champion that had already experienced it and had done some short-term wins, but it was the circumstances that really elevated his platform that allowed me to process my own desire to change. And then it just grew like wildfire at that point. It is funny though. And Tyler, I want to see what your story might be, but on that loom point, I actually got a message from one of our clients recently, who's a fairly new client that we've been using loom with. And he was like, I hate loom. (laughs) And, and he was just, I, and I said, well, tell me more. And, and he said, I love that you guys have a process. I love that you have tools that work for you. I love that you even invite me into that so that I feel like I'm part of your team. Loom feels like, kind of like what you felt like when Michael first introduced it to you. It was like, like this thing I don't need. Um, we've already got ways to communicate. I've already got Slack. Uh, I, I'd rather do a call where we can have a conversation back and forth. And, and through just a few messages back and forth, I explained some of the 
basic core value props of why we use Loom. So it's not just like, hey, use it because we use it. It was like, use it. we use it because it allows us to, to have a space where we can explain things a bit more than you could just in a long Slack message, which probably is the alternative. It's not an alternative to a phone call all the time. It's actually alternative to a long Slack message, I think is a better example. Mm-hmm. And by the end of our, our text message string back and forth, he was like, I get it. I really appreciate this. I feel better about it and I'm, I'm going to try harder. Now, he'd only been using it for a week. And we'll get to this later, but you know, it takes longer than a week, even for a small team like us, to adopt a new tool. For an enterprise, it maybe takes longer than a quarter for them to adopt some new tools. So it is understanding and having patience and, and empathy with you know, you, Justin, with Michael saying, yeah, Loom's awesome. You just don't know it yet. Um, I remember the first time I moved from PC to Mac and it was like, Mac sucks. Everything's in a weird place and it's all like prescribed and I can't get to the control panel and, you know, all these things. But two weeks in, it's like, oh, it just does everything better. (laughs) You know, like I couldn't see it. You know what I mean? Um, and it takes that adoption period. But Tyler, what, what are some examples that you've experienced in that, that, that reign? The most recent one from a design perspective is Figma, where oh, yeah, yeah. last year, and maybe even before, uh, our designers were, were playing around with it and we had talked about it and like, hey, can, can we use it here? Can we use it here? And I was not sold on its ability to serve our clients as well as the sketch and vision power combo that we had been using for a while mm-hmm. I've been using that I was super proficient with. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so and we had invested into, yeah, right. Yeah, a yeah. lot of money for sketch licenses and in, oh my gosh, envision licenses, yeah. which we were in, you know, yeah. tens of thousands of dollars into investment mm-hmm. of using these existing tools. Yeah. And, and not only that, we, we had shaped our client engagements and relationships around those tools as well. And, and right. we had, um, sold those into our clients because these were good tools and they did, they worked for the purpose that we had. And my favorite quotation around this topic is, and I've shared it with you guys ad nauseum, but uh, it's a quote from Winston Churchill where he says, we shape our structures and thereafter they shape us. Mm-hmm. So we shape our buildings and the, that we live in, we decide how they're going to be built. And then after that, we are shaped by them, our interaction patterns and the conversations we have. And so we were living in the structure of sketch and envision and then the designers came in and said hey what about this cool new tool and i said these are these are some criteria that i have for making that switch um is it good for clients is it good for you in doing the work that you want to do not just the fun um the fun basic work but can we really do these intense uh design system type projects that we do really well in and well not it's not quite there yet maybe some maybe it needs some work but over time the designers they they found themselves playing around with it more than they did in sketch and so that was a cue for me it's like oh okay this is becoming not just a tool that um that i tell them to use but it's actually helping them be more productive it's helping them enjoy their work because it's not there's not so much overhead in producing the work and then early ish this year we put um we had our first client project with it and it was kind of a pilot to see how it worked and there there were some kinks uh, that went along with that, but now it's easily the the design tool of choice for not just our product designers, but our marketing and growth design. Like 
there are so many people in Figma right now that it's not even really a design tool. It's a collaboration tool for all of Crema mm-hmm. where developers and um, the marketing team can can be editing in there. It's it's just really powerful. Mm-hmm. And so now now back to our structures, like our structures are becoming shaped around Figma and how and those interaction patterns, communication patterns and things like that. Yeah. Not just um, sketch and vision. Though there that mm-hmm. remains of it as well. One thing that I'm thinking, Tyler, as I'm hearing you speak and as I'm thinking about what I've said, mostly thinking about what I've said, um, of course. Is, is, this, uh, is this idea that you and I, we are a part of a 40-something person team. Mm. We are product people. We live for these types of things. And we're a pretty malleable group. We, are, uh, we live for SaaS products. And even we are having these hesitations and these concerns um, about these processes. And so if, if we are having these, how much more are our clients that mm-hmm. are in organizations that are not 10 years old and they thrive on SaaS products, but instead they've been around for a hundred plus years right. and they are five, 10,000 people. They're all the way across the globe. And so for us, it's easy to say, hey, try this new tool. We think Figma is going to work well for you or try Loom or try Miro, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And for them, it is, it's far more than just a, Oh yeah, this is valuable, but it, it, there's a, it feels like attacking Helm's deep, right? Where there's just mm. like this impenetrable wall mm-hmm. um, that's hard to get through, but we just need to be that one orc that finds that little, uh, little oh. river. And to, then blows up the wall. In. Yeah. <laughs> and then carries the Olympic torch right into the, the sewer. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's my liberating structures. Um, <laughs> I like it. Liberating I like yeah. <laughs> and, and what you're talking about as well, we have far less constraints on, on adopting new tools, not only from the number of people that have to use it, but also from, you know, security standards and, um, right. Right. you know, costing structures. So for us to have 20, 30, 40 licenses versus 500 licenses or a thousand licenses or 5,000 licenses, you're talking about a a scalability issue. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one, it is some, sometimes why we see people will, will choose to actually to go build their own CRM or their own project management tool, because they're like the cost that it would take me to pay for the licenses of these things. I could just go build my own and have it do exactly what I want, which Mm -hmm. by the way, if you need any help doing that, that's what we do. And, and, um, and then how do you make sure that security signs off of it? How do you make sure that a procurement signs off on it, that it's budgeted for from leadership, et cetera, who, whose budget is it coming out of? You're right. There's that, that wall is thick of mm-hmm. what it takes to get through. Now, let's say you get through all those things. Now you have to move into, will people even use this thing? Mm-hmm. Right? So you may have gotten through all of the red tape, which we all know about the bureaucracy of large organizations, which exists for a reason. But now you have to get to, will it be valuable enough? Will it, is it easy enough to use? Is it viral enough internally that you get people adopting the tool? Um, For me, that's, that's the remarkable part of this whole discussion is that even if, like, so Justin was saying, a team can say, hey, we want to use this tool and it goes up the procurement ladder in a big organization and as it goes up, it starts gathering requirements for a tool, what a tool like that needs to do. Yeah, so it gets, yeah. the expectations get bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the, it's, yeah, it's yeah. almost like a game of telephone where whoever's in charge of signing off on these pieces of software, they have to make sure that all these constituencies are happy. And by the time that happens, the initial requester has lost 
any sort of joy in this new tool because the tool has probably changed that i mean we we work with clients where we are hoping to um, help them train on a new tool and a new process work with them through that but then it gets to a point where they're like yeah we're not using that tool that we wanted uh, so we're gonna have to figure out how to work with this other new tool that we have no familiarity with mm-hmm. and the whole communication pattern around what what is best for us in the way that we work so that's why structures are so important mm-hmm. is because uh, there are tools like loom that work differently than loom that fit structures other structures better or that's why um, teams is preferred over slack in a lot of areas because of um, well, just the microsoft integration sure, in general right. Microsoft yeah. integration, security, questions like that. And so it's it's a really fascinating aspect of this discussion. I think one of the things that is is interesting to me, a lot of what we're describing, I could parallel pretty easily to the consumer adoption cycle as well, though. Mm-hmm. Um, just into what you said, if you go back to a, a consumer adoption process, and there's lots of different ways to describe this, but just kind of a, a standard five-part phase approach is awareness of the tool, so again, that might come from the champion, it might come from sales, it might come from procurement, et cetera, an interest. So somebody has to buy in, whether that's the person that's going to be training people how to use it, or it's the VP or the leadership, or it's the champion, right? So that interest. Then there's an evaluation where it's, you start to test the waters. Is mm-hmm. this going to work with a small team? Can I get some buy-in with a small group of people? Can we see how this affects or integrates with the other tools that we use? Like you said, Tyler, does it work with our Microsoft suite? Does it work with, you know, our Jira stack, our Atlassian stack? Does it work with, you know, name other tool? Um, And then you continue to to trial that out. And a lot of time, consumer products will have a trial period where it says, let me use this for a bit. And as I'm using it, does it actually form a new habit? Is it enough that it's sticky that it, where it stays adopted. We've tried lots of tools at Crema. I mean, I've written two blog posts on the 38 SaaS tools that we use to run Crema, of which a lot of those we don't use anymore. Yep. They've been replaced by other tools or we figured out, you know what? They weren't really as good as we thought they were gonna be after we used them for a bit. You know, we weren't getting the adoption and the, the issues, the bugs, the, the stickiness wasn't there. And we were okay to let go of it. Now, a lot easier when you're only 40, 50 people than, Justin, like you said, when you're tens of thousands of employees. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it, it becomes exhausting <clears throat> to be an employee where things are always changing. My dad worked for Walmart for 25 years, and uh, he was a senior pricing manager. And so he lives and breathes Excel. And my dad would tell me that he said, especially in the late 90s, early thousands, every year there was a new person with a new tool telling him how it's going to revolutionize his job. And every year, everyone on his team ended up continuing to use the spreadsheets for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, there, there reaches a point internally where it's, you just kind of, you kind of give up and you say, look, this is, I'll, I'll humor you. I'll listen to your presentation. I'll watch your little thing. But ultimately I'm going to go back to what I know because mm-hmm. I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. I know that my, my wife expresses that she's in the medical field. And so she's often, they, they, you know, switch from paper, um, reporting to uh, computers, believe it or not, only like two years ago. <laughs> and, um, the, the amount of friction and the amount of money, not only paid in licenses, but it paid in training and support 
it was a, a multi-million, multi, multi, multi-million dollar investment mm-hmm. for an organization to adopt a tool, which she will say is terrible, <laughs> right? It's not easy to use. Yeah, it has all the entry points that they need to collect all the stuff. And there's two companies that own that market. So there's only two options, but it's terrible. So they, they have to adopt a tool that may or may not be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the thing is that that tool, that software was not designed and built for your wife. It was built for the people purchasing it mm-hmm. at the procurement level and the people who uh, at whatever level <clears throat> were speaking into what requirements were necessary and so on and so forth. And so it's, it's a classic inter- enterprise software problem, right? Where the people buying it are not using it. The people using it are not buying it. And so that's why po- product-led growth is such a powerful marketing and growth strategy because it says, we are going to make this tool useful to the people who need it. And we're going to mm-hmm. give them the tools to evangelize it throughout the organization, making the case automatic, providing evidence for the case to management, to procurement in advance of them actually knowing that they need it. So the case is already made. So that when somebody says, hey, it's time for us to pay for Slack, can I have some money? Well, what is what do I get for Slack? It's like, oh, we got this productivity over here. Um, right. Or Miro. Every project starts in Miro. Great. Mm-hmm. That's a no-brainer. When I see, when I look at our Figma users, it's a no-brainer for me to say, yep, we're going to sign that because it's such a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. To me, the people aspect of product gets overlooked so yeah so many times when you're talking about product creation, but then also implementation within an organization. It's the change management because there's so many people, especially if if your software product is going to affect, you know, thousands of employees. Think about the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like disarray and just disorganization there, the chaos almost, I'll use the word chaos of trying to implement, implement a software product, trying to get adopted without asking the individuals who are going to be using it for feedback. Uh, Mm -hmm. So take that, take uh, George uh, Jesse's work is just this idea that um, if they were to do user focus groups or get it in front of the actual users and get feedback, um, Yes, they may get feedback that might delay a decision, but in the end might save them time and implementation because the change management and leadership aspect of it would go better. It would actually right. be able to get through the organization because change management and leadership, let's get down to it, it's cultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you're asking people to change, um, most people can get there mentally pretty fast. Yeah, we need to change, but that's not what you have to handle. <laughs> what you have to handle and walk through carefully and with good strategy and just good decision-making is the heart issue of it. Um, and that's where product design, product experience, and just getting this into, into an organization that makes sense um, is so key, so key. And that requires people going through the pain of change, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I feel like that's a common theme on this podcast is <clears throat> it will be uncomfortable as you go through that change. We built a product <clears throat> just last year for one of our clients and it, it, checked all the boxes of what the product needed to do and the potential return on investment. We did the math. It was massive. Mm. What was the the hardest part had nothing to do with the technology and had a hundred percent to do with getting people being willing to change their habits, willing to, to log off of this other thing they're using and log into the thing that we just built. Right. I mean, that, 
that is so much harder that, and that talks about people, Dan, to your point, that is so much harder than it is just to procure something, mandate it and say, let it be, you know? Right. Um, and that's why you get people micromanaging and then frustrated and then resentful and everything else. Instead of having somebody says, let me bring you into this, Justin, like you said, let me show you the small wins. Let me show you how this can impact your work and actually free you up. Um, I, I think the best bead to be tools, like we're talking about, they borrow interactions and, uh, and, and serve expectations that come from the B2C world because we're all on smartphones. We all use apps outside of work. Mm-hmm. And so they borrow patterns from the B2C world and apply them to B2B workflows. And so that, that, is, that can bridge the gap between what I need to be doing as a professional and how I expect things to work. Because let's face it, B2C companies have onboarding and training figured out way farther ahead yep. than almost every B2B software. So tool. true. What else, to that point, so onboarding is a big factor. <clears throat> and I didn't, I didn't plan for this, but I'm just, I'm curious, what, what, are you, what can you guys think of on the, about the products you use or the products we built? What other factors in the product itself that are important to that product becoming cornerstone? What, what other attributes does the technology entail that actually help it at least move closer, faster towards that thing that people will endure the pain to, to actually start using it? I think that um, if the only thing that we're concerned about is the output of what the product will equip us to do, then we're missing at least half the story. Mm. Explain um, what you mean by that. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, that tools are not just what they deliver, mm. um, but it is how you use it. I've, I've heard it said that every important progress or anything important always ends up in either a PDF or a spreadsheet. And so it's, or it's a PowerPoint. Easy, yeah. Or yeah. a PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, but that it, it's, it's, it's easy to say, Hey, this is going to help you output this thing faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be able to deliver this deliverable in a more streamlined process. But how does that process fit into the current workflow? If all it does is help them reach the, if all it does is give them a better output, but it doesn't impact the way that they're doing it. And it's not a more seamless experience. If it doesn't fit into their workflow, um, if it doesn't match the process that they have every day, then people are going to default to the old way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, mm-hmm. Tyler, I'm going to go back to what you're saying about the B2C world. Um, how are we inputting data? Right. How are, how are we uh, collecting notes in this app? How are we chatting with others, whatever it may be. Uh, we need to be exploring all areas of this. And I think that we shouldn't just focus in like with our strategy and alignment sessions with our clients. We don't just say, hey, what do you need done? But we say, let's, let's go in and let's watch you for a day. Let's observe mm-hmm. why you're doing this. What time do you do this? Why do you do this in this order instead of this thing in this order? Or why do you jump between these three things? All of those things affect a product far more than just the output and the deliverable. Yeah, it, for me, it's uh, a matter of flexibility where almost every project for me starts with Miro. It used to be uh, a Sharpie or a whiteboard, uh, not a Sharpie on a whiteboard, but it, it, almost everything starts in Miro. <laughs> uh, yeah. And 
but not everybody's like that. Not even Justin, who I work with regularly, or George, like the people that I work with regularly, they start their projects differently. But uh, if a developer wants to jump in and use Miro, they can use it in a different way than I use it, but we can still collaborate well. And so there's not one way to use it. Whereas workflow specific tools, they make it really hard for other people to do that because they have to, they have to change so much that it's, it's just not worth it. They don't see the value. They don't see the value within the change. It's just, there's just too much distance for them to bridge that gap. And so that's one of the things about like coming back to what we do, like building custom software, it's built for the way that you work. Whereas mm -hmm. other tools, you have to make sure that that tool more or less aligns with the way that you already work. And then it's, it's kind of closer. It's not going to be right where you work because it's not built for you. It's built for you and millions of other people right. who work differently than you. Like that, that's there. Yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't reconcile it. And so you have to decide, do we want to use this tool that's going to force us to change a bit more in ways that we don't really want to, and then we're not set up to do, or do we want to change, have a tool that helps us change the way that we want to. So I think that's also an imbalance. There's a spectrum there too, because I think there's there's value. <clears throat> I'll use the example of Asana. I love Asana. I've been a fanboy, early adopter of Asana for, you know, since I think, you know, it was in beta. Asana was one of those tools that for the, the power user was awesome because there was no constraints. Mm -hmm. You could... Oh. Totally. You could go at it from any direction you could possibly wrap your, and that's why people like Excel, right? There's just no constraints. You can make Excel do almost anything you want it to. Now, that being said, what they've learned over time, just like every good tool, is that constraints actually create creativity, right? Constraints mm -hmm. give people purpose. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> what they struggled with is to say, to tell users, here's how you can use Asana if you want to have a prescribed way of doing things. And I think that's a, that's a big balance. Miro, for example, an open-ended canvas to draw, to put sticky notes, to go infinitely large or infinitely small. And then they create the Miroverse, which has a bunch of templates that you can use to get yourself started because starting blank is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting modern balance <clears throat> that I think tools people procuring tools, people building tools need to be really thinking about no matter the size of the organization is how do you build something that has the flexibility, like you just said, Tyler, to meet people wherever they are, but does give them some guidance to how to get started, whether that's with onboarding or with maybe potential ways to use a tool that get them inspired on how to use it. Mm -hmm. And I think the other two things for me is modern tools, similar to consumer products, need to have a certain level of transparency because, you know, Figma, Sketch was amazing, but you had a Sketch file and a Dropbox folder and a directory someplace that was like having it on a hard drive. It's 2020. We should all be able to jump into that tool at the same time, i.e. Figma, right? And have that collaboration, that transparency of work in progress and working together. But again, that's a cultural thing more than it is mm. a technology thing. Um, but those are just a few factors that popped in my head kind of underneath what you guys were saying, yeah. both from an onboarding perspective, accessibility perspective, um, prescriptive versus, I guess, flexible. Mm -hmm. I, I think that 
Tyler, to what you're talking about with flexibility, I especially think it's important now in 2020, going to be 2021, as the rules are changing so rapidly. Yeah. That we need tools that are that are still investing in new opportunities um, that are changing as the world changes because our business is continuing to change. And the last mm. thing we would want is to get a tool, adopt a tool, train everyone on it, and they're not they don't have the same values that we have as an organization. And mm. so we're going in one direction and then they seem to be saying, no, we, we think we're done in this area. We're gonna start moving into this other way. I think we need to make sure that we're on the same page because adopting organization wide a tool is kind of like buying a new car. It's like mm-hmm. whatever we're buying now, we're not just buying this for the next year. Ideally, we're buying this for the next while, and and it needs to be flexible and needs to be able to shift along with us, so that uh, so it's a part of the ride and not something that hinders us inevitably in a month or a year and a half. That's mm-hmm. a really good point, Justin. Mm-hmm. So, as I guess for our audience, as people are starting to approach this daunting task, and a, a lot of them just went through this, right? everybody just adopted Zoom. <laughs> everybody just adopted sure. Microsoft Teams or Slack. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've, they've been through the pain. I guess if you could give somebody some pointers or some recommendations about now what? Maybe coming off of 2020, off of a year of like, you know you can survive change. What are some, what are some things to think about as they step into new tools, new way to evaluate tools, um, new ways to think about integrating or building new solutions. Um, what are some maybe takeaways? Yeah, for me, I think that it, like Dan talked about, it has to start at the cultural level. And I think from that extent, if we're in 2021 Q1 leadership summit, whatever it looks like, and the com- and we're not having a conversation about what our values are, I think that we're going to miss the mark on how we view change, uh, how we view the malleability of our organization and how we view challenges. Mm, um, it's good. So I, Sorry, think, I just got excited there. Good job. Justin. No, no, come on. <laughs> I hear you in the back. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that you, you have to be having those conversations to talk about tools without talking about culture is a moot point And ultimately it's going to be stuck in the mud, I think, to an extent. And so you need to be talking about, hey, we just, we just went through this. Having an all-team retrospective, we just jumped on Teams. We just jumped on Slack or Zoom or whatever. What did we learn about ourselves in this process? What yeah. are the things that we didn't think were possible that now are? Who are the team members that we didn't think could change? And they did. What are the things we noticed? What, what happened to make those things happen? And what trajectory are we on now? And how do we keep that trajectory going? Mm-hmm. Um, I think these are, those are critical conversations for, for now and for the next little bit. Mm-hmm. So good. It's really good. Tyler, Tyler, what do you think? That's great. Justin. Uh, yeah, no, that my, my thought was along those lines. So thank you, Justin. Uh, <laughs> of course it was. No, it's, it's about having a conversation about the, the way that you work. And it's an ongoing open conversation about the way that you work there are, mm-hmm. in any business. There are things that should stay the same and things that should change. And that's different for every organization, but you have to call that out explicitly or else mm-hmm. I'm going to be over here trying out all these new tools and looking for new ways to work. But somebody over here is going to say, we can't do that because that's not the way that it is. 
mm-hmm. if we're not on the same page about what needs to be what needs to be improved, what even could be improved, or how to go mm-hmm. about that, it there will be zero progress and only frustration on both parties, because um, there's just we don't have a shared view of what the company and the work that we do could mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. That's where that tool start, stop, keep comes into play a lot. In my opinion, what, what should we stop doing? What do we need to keep doing? What, um, what should we start doing? And I think tools, um, any products we want to introduce into our company or anyone else's company, um, I think it correlates a lot with what do we want to, like you said, Tyler, what do we keep doing? But I think the start and the stop are really good. Whatever answers are there are good indicators, maybe just good signposts as to, okay, do we need a tool to help us accomplish this greater purpose? Um, I really like that. Yeah. yeah. One, <clears throat> Go ahead, Ty. One last thought is, is give each other the benefit of the doubt, trust mm-hmm. each other, where I, as an individual contributor might say, hey, I think this tool might be really good. I heard... Some, some friends in the industry recommended it to me. As, as I relay that to my manager, I might have to do some work to make the case for that, depending on the cost and how much it's gonna change things. But as a manager in procurement or as a, at the team level, whatever that is, I need to say to myself, this person might be onto something, they might not, but I need to trust them that they know what they need in order to do their work well. Right. Because I see, as a manager, I see things differently. I have different mm-hmm. priorities. And I need to be able to, to empower people on my team to explore and do that work because I'm not going to do that best work. I'm not going to give them the tools that they need at, for, because I, I, I'm not in the trenches all the time like they are. So there needs to be trust both up and down. And I think that comes back to asking the question, a simple question you ask is, is this best for the organization? Is yeah. this best for our team? Mm-hmm. And if they have a good case for that, giving them the freedom to try it, to experiment with it, I would say... <clears throat> don't tell your bosses this, but break the rules a little bit. You know, go off, go rogue for a second, try out the new tool. Maybe you don't have to bring the whole organization into it yet. But if you're, like you said, Tyler, if, you're, if your team can prove value, you know, using a unique tool on the side, which by the way, every organization has teams using tools, tools rogue on the side, mm-hmm. then, then when it's introduced back into leadership, you can say, hey, you know what, actually we've been using you know, Slack, or we've been, we built our own little tool to do this X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's really great. It's, it's changing the game of how we can get work done around here. Now you've got a story to tell. Um, and I think Justin, you know, you've talked about before, I think that it is about pacing yourself, right? Like this, this, how do we make sure that we just don't overwhelm people with saying, let's try 15 new tools at once. <laughs> Instead, you know, introduce, introduce new ideas you may have the one guy or girl that is passionate about trying new things. I'm that person. Everybody knows that. That's George is that guy at Crema. But because I like new tools, I've just, I, that's one reason I was so good at designing them was because I was always trying every tool that came out. And so what I tend to do is I'll say, oh, I found this kind of cool tool. I didn't go real deep. Hey, product management team, tell me what you think. And they might pull it up and say, uh, it looks cool, but honestly, that that that's it's not going to change anything compared to what we do for Jira or what we do with Asana or whatever. Great, cool, carry on. I just wanted to throw it at you, just because I'm the guy that's always looking, and that's okay. You name that person. You know, if somebody does that on a regular basis, celebrate them, let them do it. 
but help, help them to understand that the actual implication of changing, it, it will take some work. You know? And to, so this is my final thought. Um, famous, famous, not final thought words from me. <laughs> from, the, the, from the coaching and strategy team, when will there ever be a final thought? <laughs> Um, is that I think clarity and communication is essential for these types of things. Yeah. Reason being, George, I know that there's a difference when you slack out in the general channel. Hey, anybody who wants to try this app with me today, hop on in. There's a very big difference between that and through the announcements channel from um, from our HR team, come to this event on this day, we're discussing this new tool. It is crystal clear what is the, hey, let's experiment and this is expected of you. And Dan, or, and so George, you're the CEO. And yet I know when it's like, hey, George is a, George is a teammate wants this versus Crema as an organization wants this. Yeah. Um, and again, Crema paces themselves. Uh, Crema knows that we can't be trying everything new at once. I've worked with clients where it's like, it's introducing five tools at one time and pacing ourselves. And so clear communication, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's the timeline for it. Here's what's expected of you. Here's what Mm -hmm. we expect to see in a while. And then having a feedback loop for let us know what you think, obviously with a lot of work that went on before that. But I think that clear communication is essential. That's really good. My my last thought on this is there's an inefficiency. Hold on, you already had a last thought. (laughs) I didn't call it that though. You absolutely did. Oh, did I? (laughs) Well, you should know better. My last thought on this particular thought (laughs) <laughs> is that there's an inefficiency that we're that we're talking around and if we george you testing out these apps and playing around with these various things is extremely inefficient in the short run but in the long run mm-hmm. it pays off exponentially because you have so much context not just about the tools that are out there but about the best way for you and the teams to work right and so when we when we think about it departments and they say everybody's going to use this diagramming tool because it's more cost-effective for us to do so. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's great in the short term because it has one, it's one line item in the budget, but mm-hmm. you're, you're robbing the teams of one autonomy and belief in the product and the way that the way that they work, but two, the, the inefficiency that creates exponential dividends down the road that is just mm-hmm. really hard to measure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more to this conversation. Yeah, so, and I've got one last thought. Oh, like, no, we're moving on. Just we're moving on. I'm just kidding. Um, thank you, gentlemen. I think this is really thoughtful. And I think what, what this just exposes is that it's nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. There is not, this is not a binary conversation of saying, you know, this or this, yeah. this or this, you, you see the product, this is the best product in this market, you choose to buy that product, and then you mandate that it has to be used across the organization, and everybody's happy because they've got the new shiny thing. It just doesn't happen that way. That being said, and, and I want to pull this maybe in the future back into our, our framework, because if you can really look at the behaviors of how people are working, Justin, what you said earlier about how people spend their day, right? What are they doing? And then how will a product or a tool or a piece of technology help or enhance that? Or how will it constrain them, right? And then, and then think about how to allow people to explore. And then, then, then asking the question, how is this shifting your posture? How is this shifting the way you're thinking about your work? Do you have more space now? Or are you distracted and annoyed and frustrated? Uh, right, because now you've got all these things that um, are shifting your posture and your ability to do your work. But what we're talking about is is giving them structures that actually point them in the right direction. Hmm. So, 
thank you so much for joining us, our mm. resident experts on all things product and, well, you know. Can we do a follow-up exercise? I have, I have another hour's worth of thoughts on this. This is fun. <laughs> uh, Dan, any final thoughts? Any, any nuggets of wisdom on our way out? Hmm. Nougats. No more. New, nougats. <laughs> no more than what they offer. This is really good. This is really good. Uh, again, what we do is fun and it's exciting. We're building product, but it's definitely not easy, um, especially when you're uh, trying to develop products that um, will help people's work go better and be better. That's a that's a weighty task, uh, but it's a good one. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see everybody next time. Thanks, guys. See you. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us. Cheers. Cheers.